we begin a brand new sermon series today. And the sermon series is about answering difficult questions. You know, in my time in ministry, people have asked me a lot of questions. And some questions I hear repeatedly. Like, how can I believe that God is good when all I see is evil? Or why doesn't God answer my prayers? Does it really matter if we say Jesus was divine instead of just saying an, an incredible prophet or teacher? So we're going to wrestle with some of these. And every time we begin a new series and I introduce it, I'd like to have, you know, some texts, some scripture that, that kind of is our beacon. And so I have two pieces of proverbial wisdom. The first is from chapter 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to advice. And I would say they do more than listen to advice. Those who are wise, those who are ultimately going to be healthy are those who seek it out. Seek it out. And secondly, Proverbs 18, 15. An intelligent mind acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Is there anyone here who's coming to seek knowledge? We, we kind of all want knowledge, right? We, we, we want to learn each and every day. We, we want to move our intellect forward. We want to move our, our faith journey forward. And so questions are an important part of that. And if you've been in a small group with me or a study, I have, I have said something about questions. You know, what we ask is really important because it, it reveals what's important to us. When somebody asks you a question, they give you a glimpse in, inside themselves. What we ask shows what's important. Who we ask or where we go shows who we believe has authority in our lives, whom we deem to be an expert, who we think knows what we need to know. But how we ask reveals whether we are alive and growing or if we're already emotionally, spiritually, intellectually dead and decaying. Do we even listen for answers? Are we asking questions where the answer may be hard for us to hear? Those can be important questions. And so last week was confirmation. We brought in this class, and one of the things we try and do is to teach our young people from, from the very beginning in Sunday school all the way up through senior high to, to adult to help people to think critically so that they can live life faithfully, to not be afraid to ask difficult questions. And so when you have a question, where do you go? There's very few of us now that still have the World Book Encyclopedias. If we do, we'd probably have to blow the dust on the, off them because they've been sitting on a shelf. But we live in remarkable times because if we have a question, all we have to do is go to our smartphone, right? Right? You know, and we can talk to our smartphone and our smartphone will talk right back to us. We can ask questions like, okay, Google, what is the capital of Kentucky? Frankfurt is the capital of Kentucky. All right, so that's, that's very useful, right, if, if we needed to know something. But maybe some questions are a little bit harder. Okay, Google, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? According to my land plan, Thomas reasoned that if a woodchuck could chuck wood, he would chuck an amount equivalent to the weight of the dirt, or 700 pounds. There you go. Knowledge dropped right on you there. That, that kind of gives us a glimpse that, that there are just some questions that that Google or Siri are never truly going to be able to answer. They may lead us into paths where we can find what, what other people have said, but there's no true answer there. 
As a matter of fact, Siri and Google will never be able to answer some of the really important questions. Some questions like, you know, is this the right person for me to spend the rest of my life with? Or am I ready to retire? Not just financially, but emotionally and, and health-wise. Or, or the, the painful questions, why did that person hurt me? Or why does this person continue to hurt themselves so often. So where do we go? If who we ask shows the authority in our lives, that's good. But if we go to the wrong places, if we go to the wrong people, if we go to the wrong sources, you know what we're going to end up with? A mind of confusion. And I don't think there's anyone here that wants to have a mind of confusion. The only one that, that wants God's people to have a mind of confusion would be the adversary, the forces of evil, those that don't want God's people to have a clear understanding to work together in harmony towards the principles that Jesus lived his life for. I read something interesting this week, and please let me share this with you. It's a little bit longer quote than what I normally would read. But it says, everyone seeks answers mostly to questions that are not important. The great concern in life should be to discover which are indeed the right questions. Then even if you rarely get answers, at least, at the very least, you are journeying in the right direction. On any authentic spiritual journey, asking the hard questions is not only permitted, Asking the hard questions is necessary. And what we learn along the way through difficulties, through maybe feeling like disequilibrium, through mistakes and challenges and discoveries and unlearnings, is that it's the process that is important. The wrestling with questions, the seeking of truth. The seeking of truth. The unanswerable questions asked within the company of fellow believers along the way becomes a central part of the process of, of digging deeper, of having this quest to walk even more strongly with our God in the footsteps of God. But I also want you to know that, that there are times where the only right person to go to with a question is yourself. We don't go to therapy to have somebody tell us the answers. We go to therapy with our problems, with our junk, and we, that we are coached how to unlock it from within ourselves so that we might know peace, that we might live securely. If we are wise and if we go to the right places, the right people, the right sources, not the wrong places, the wrong people, the wrong sources. If we do things like go to the Bible, if we go to the Holy Spirit with our questions, we receive the mind of Christ. So let me just end this introduction to this sermon series with a simple question. Which do you want? A mind of confusion or the mind of Christ? And so we have our very first question that we're going to wrestle with in this sermon series. And it's a question that I have heard uh, almost in a lament kind of form. Does God make mistakes? Does our God make mistakes? I've had painful conversations with some people who their birth parents told them they were a mistake and, and were feeling unwanted. Does God make mistakes? You know, sometimes I wonder... Uh, 
did God really want a platypus to look like a platypus, or did God just use the leftover parts at the end to put this platypus together? You, you've seen platypuses, haven't you? What is it? Is it a beaver? Is it a duck? It's an egg-laying mammal? Or a question like, God, what's up with the appendix? If we don't need it, why is it there? But some point to Scripture to say, aha, God does and God has made mistakes. And they go to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, the creation, the beginning. And in chapter 6 already, we're not very far into the, the, the good news of the Bible. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. That's a heavy sentence. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we get through that, and then we get to this point in time where the people have been asking, they've been clamoring for a king, and finally King Saul is put together there, and this is what happens when Saul spins out of control. God speaks through uh, Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Does God make mistakes? Is God capable of having regret? Does God change God's mind? Some people would say no right away, and they would point to Hebrews that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So people say, yes, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God does not make mistakes, and God does not have a mind that changes on a whim. But let's go back to those two challenging texts where God seems to say, oops, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that about creation and about the king. And so if we really want to understand that, and I think it is important that we understand it, we have to understand the, the word uh, the, for regret in Hebrew, which is a word, nacham. Say it with me, nacham. I'm glad you're wearing masks because that's the, kind of, that's the kind of word that you might have a spray with it. But it can be seen in different ways, have different meanings in different contexts. This regret can mean regret, but can also mean repudiate or finally to retract. To regret means that there is an emotional pain that God experienced uh, concerning a past emotional sorrow. It is a broken heart. I regret that that's a cry of a broken heart. To repudiate is to refuse to be associated with a course of action. And thanks be to God that God has never said, I okay, that's it, I'm done with these people all together. Or to retract is to change one's mind, to take something back. When we look at Moses and Saul through Samuel, it is the first category that speaks to what God meant when God said, I regret in these texts. It is, it breaks my heart. And many earthly parents know that pain all too well, don't we? When a parent or, or when a child or a grandchild does something, it, it breaks our heart. It breaks our heart. We don't regret having that child, but it breaks our heart. 
And so we, we have to, to go forward um, because our God in heaven, God's heart breaks as well. And what breaks God's heart is the way in which we use the freedoms that we have been given, the ability to make choices. And every time we choose something other than love, it has to break God's heart. God might say, I regret that they didn't make that better choice. I have regret, I have sorrow. It breaks my heart that God's people aren't doing what I have instructed them to do here on earth. Look at the way in which humanity is fractured and the earth is being sinned against. It breaks my heart that this is happening. God did not make a mistake. You know, the mistakes come on the human part with with free will comes consequences. God didn't want to punish, but God needed to guide in love. God does not make mistakes. We do but some people say, well, then how come God changes God's mind? Isn't that an admission that God has made a mistake? Does the Bible say God changed his mind? I mean, if we accept the fact that God is perfection and that God cannot cha- change, how do we account for the parts of the Bible where it seems like God has had a change of mind? And there are several instances in Scripture where we might be led to believe that. Moses and the people. Moses is up on the mountain having this, the mountaintop experience of all mountaintop experiences. And God has given him these, these 15, no, 10 commandments as he's coming down the mountain. That's a Mel Brooks reference for the, anyone who saw that movie. He's coming down and, and he's coming down with these, these laws that while they were being dictated to him, God's own people were already breaking one of those commandments. Thou shalt not make any Uh, idols and yet there they were they made this golden calf and when he gets down they are praying to it they're worshiping it he found that the people had fallen into sin they had made for themselves that which they were not supposed to and so Moses pleaded for his people and this is what happened according to Exodus and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he planned to bring on his people It appears that God maybe changed God's mind when we think of Jonah being sent to Nineveh, that terrible place with those terrible people. And God said, tell them to repent. Tell them to repent. God seemed ready to destroy them entirely. And yet, and yet, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it says, then God saw their works, that they turned away from their evil, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And so the question is, who changed? The answer is, the change was with humanity. Because in both of these situations, we see that a prayer of repentance changed the outcome of the situation. The change was not with God. The change was with God's people. The change was with God's people. And we give thanks that even though we can get ourselves into such a mess, when we really do repent, God is there to save And God has been consistent throughout the time of existence about this behavior all along. You see, a change, as it's it's written about in the Bible, is always about God stopping punishment. When Scripture tells us about God relenting or repenting of what God said would happen, each instance is in regard to punishment. It is never a case of God promising to do something and then changing God's divine mind. Friends, God's promises to God's people, will not be broken. As it says in Romans, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
The Bible assures us of the following things about God's nature. One, God will not change towards God's promises. Two, any seeming change in God's dealings is from humanity's viewpoint and not God's. And three, every time God quote-unquote changed his mind, it was in favor of humanity rather than against it. Rather than against it, change Friends, part of God's nature is change. God is continuing to create, continuing to advance, continuing to move us forward. Things change, but the pure nature of God does not because God is love. Make no mistakes about it. God does not make mistakes. You, you are not a mistake. Life is never a mistake. God is perfect, and Scripture calls us to move toward perfection because God in heaven is perfect. And this perfect God took our flesh and lived a perfect life, a life that was laid down perfectly for you and I, that it might be well with our soul. And so, friends, sometimes Google just does not have an answer. You know, at the first service, at this point in the sermon, I, I asked Google, does God make mistakes? It was kind of funny, because one of her replies was, here are some pictures, and everyone kind of uh, perked up there. <laughs> but let's see what she'll say now. Hey, Google, does God make mistakes? Sometimes she won't even answer. <laughs> does God make mistakes? According to Ottawa Citizen, impossible. Every event, every person, everything has a purpose. It only seems like God has made a mistake when we can't see the logic in a seemingly cruel, random, meaningless event. All right. She, she, she said it this time, didn't she? And so, friends, you see, God changes our, our responses to our actions. God is always willing to bring you in to embrace you and to walk you all the way home as we walk home together. Amen.